You're listening to the free preview episode of On Grief, a podcast about death by Karen Geyer. To unlock the full episodes, please visit patreon.com forward slash on grief pod. Memberships start at just $2 a month. Before we begin, this entire episode contains frank discussion of suicide. If that's not something that you are ready to listen to, please skip this episode. It's actually a myth that suicide rates go up around Christmas time. As a matter of fact, almost everything that we think that we know about suicide tends to be a myth and tends to come from our popular culture. Here to discuss what's real and what's fake is Seth Amiton who is a licensed clinical social worker practicing in California. Welcome, Seth. Seth, the question that's on a lot of people's minds is, is there a profile of people who have suicidal ideation and eventually go on to die by suicide? Yeah, that turns out not to be true. What we do know about suicide is that usually it's a very strong emotion that people can't process well it gets associated with depression a lot which you know i mean that's pretty much the most common one that people have trouble dealing with but it also goes with mania it goes with embarrassment and shame those are two of the bigger markers that usually find with people who are having suicidal ideation and then experiences with trauma so ptsd uh, especially childhood abuse Ideation differs a lot too. So there's passive thoughts. Passive thoughts include, you know, the what if I turn the steering wheel really sharply and and drive off this cliff. Uh, that that's a very passive idea, and about 95% of people have something like that. It's just your brain kind of playing around with what's going on in your head. It's a thought that occurs because you've seen it in a movie or you've seen it somewhere else. It doesn't necessarily mean suicide ideation, but it is what we call a passive suicidal thought. There's stronger ones than that, too. There's also thinking that the world would be a better place if you didn't live anymore. That's very passive, but it's also very strong. And then the more aggressive ones, including, you know, I want to die, all, all that, all those fun ones. Uh, you have a pretty good idea of those ones, but most people don't have the understanding of the more passive ones. And more passive ones sometimes get louder and more frequent. So uh, the measuring system for it is called FIDS, F-I-D-S. It's frequency, intensity, duration, and situation. It's a good way of measuring how frequent the thoughts are, how intense they are, how uh, long the duration is, and what the situation is. So obviously... There's going to be more factors that lead to suicidal ideation for someone who is in a great deal of debt, someone who doesn't feel they have control over their life, uh, someone who's experienced trauma. Of course, it's not a one-to-one. If you've experienced trauma, doesn't mean you're suicidal. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. The frequency of the thoughts and the intensity can be your biggest determining factors of what, what suicide and suicidal ideation are. 
And going back to those feelings, usually what happens is people are more prone to suicidal ideation if there's a feeling they can't deal with. So if the feeling is pretty frequent and pretty intense, there's going to be a much greater struggle to not want to feel it. And people sometimes keep in the back of their mind that suicide is an option in that case. So what do we know about who is more likely or less likely to die by suicide? Their numbers of suicide uh, compared to gen pop. I do know that it really isn't that big of a variance. It's not like people with, I do know it's about 10% of the general population. Uh, And the United States has actually gone up, which is uh, the first time that's happened in, I don't know how long, but it's been quite a while. The United States is also the only one that uh, has seen it go up in developing nations in the last 10 years. Uh, So when you consider factors, one is environmental. Um, What is the environment around the person? Not just like their living space, which can be a factor too, but uh, what country do they live in? What do they feel about their own politics? Do they feel heard? Do they feel listened to? Um, Where are they on socioeconomic status? Are they in debt? All these things are factors. Hold on, I got the list right here. Let me look it up real quick. Uh, two is health factors, and this gets roped into depression, emotional uh, mood disorders, or mental illnesses. But, you know, people who have bad health and are at the end of their lives tend to suicide at a higher rate. And the reason is pretty obvious. I mean, they don't want to suffer. They may be in debt already, and they don't want to cause more debt for their family. Part of the reason I think that suicides have gone up in the U.S. as opposed to other places. And then on top of that, you got stressful life events. So these include divorces, deaths, relationship problems, financial crises, when you take those three and all of them are negative in some way in a person's life, yeah, the frequency and intensity of suicidal ideation is probably going to be greater. How do I know if I'm a person experiencing suicidal ideation, whether that's just a fleeting thought or if it's something that is of deeper concern? My initial instinct is if you are having any kind of passive thought, you should go to therapy. If you're having any kind of thought louder than passive, you should go to therapy too, of course. I also believe everybody should be in therapy, but that's a different thing. So if you've ignored the advice to go to therapy, is there a point at which you should be setting off alarm bells? I tend to think that most people have had some kind of fleeting suicidal thought in their life and they look past it because it's like, well, you know, it's a weird thing to tell other people out loud. It's also a weird thing to like admit to yourself that you had that because it's like you look at your life if things are going well and say, well, that would be a very permanent solution to a temporary problem. And, And then they look past it. And to be in touch with your own thoughts and your own feelings 
means to be aware that you are thinking that even in a time when things are going well. My immediate recommendation is, you know, especially for anybody listening to this, is that you're not alone. There are a lot of people that have fleeting thoughts that have stronger than fleeting thoughts and probably more than the 10% who actually attempt suicide on any level have had very strong thoughts about it. And myself included in that, I, I wanted to bring that up. Like I've had these thoughts too. And it's not really something that I dealt with till I was about 28. And it, it started with telling a friend first, because I'd always gone through life thinking everybody had this thing going on with them, that everybody at some point had suicidal thoughts. And it turns out that's not true. A lot of people have fleeting thoughts. A lot of people have you know, mild ideation, but this these were pretty strong. And I'm telling this partially for awareness for other people that you know, you're not alone and also that there is help. So what I ended up doing was I ended up telling a friend and that friend turned out to be not a great person to tell because her response was, wow, you should really talk to somebody about that. <laughs> um, after that, I went and saw my therapist and I hadn't seen him in a while. And I said, hey, what's going on and all these things. And then eventually got around to it and we talked about it. And it was, it was a great experience. I was really scared at first of what the therapist was going to think because I you know, in the back of my head, I didn't want to disappoint my therapist, which happens sometimes. And in truth, he was he was pretty clear with me about it. It was like, I'm, I'm really happy you told me we can talk about it. And from that point on, I was more open about it. The problem I find is a lot of people try to hide these thoughts or feelings from other people as like, I don't want to be a burden on somebody else. I don't want to be a problem. I can take care of this on my own as most people do with most any other problem. And this is one that really helps to talk out. So when we talk about going to therapy and talking about it, I think that's your biggest quote unquote cure for it is that somebody listens, somebody listens unjudgmentally and they respond and they hear you. I've found personally that most people's problems come from feeling like they're not heard or they're marginalized or something along that vein. And when they open up about it, they feel a lot more control over their own lives. Are there any ways that we can guard against our suicidal ideation that might be fleeting into becoming more complex? Or is there a way of preventing these thoughts from getting worse? There are five or six really simple solutions, simple, but not easy, uh, is the classic phrase. And they are exercise, uh, time outside behavior replacement therapy, which means like gardening or something that keeps your mind busy for an hour or meditation in general, and then sleep hygiene and, and eating hygiene so that you're eating healthy and taking care of your body and sleeping, going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, getting into a routine of it. A lot of depression in the 2000s was misdiagnosed as people who weren't getting sleep properly, especially among college kids. It doesn't mean they weren't depressed, but when they started sleeping better, their symptoms stopped being so strong. 
When you do those, you tend to see the frequency and intensity of thoughts go down. Uh, you also tend to see people are feeling better and more in control of their own lives and more capable of talking about major things that have happened to them, traumas or uh, depression symptoms or things of that nature. If I'm the friend, the partner, the parent of somebody who might be going from just fleeting thoughts of suicide to something more serious, what should I be aware of? It's kind of a dangerous game uh, for a number of reasons. I, I worked homeless services for four years, and we had a saying there, which was that you don't save anybody because if they end up hurting themselves in the long run, what does that mean? It means you didn't save them. And that's not what this is about. This is about people living their best lives. It's about people who are making a very impulsive decision at times. Sometimes it's thought out for sure. And I'll get to that in a second. But sometimes it's a very strong impulse. And other people are not responsible for coming into those people's lives and saying, you know, I'm here to help. It comes a lot the other way of asking people for help. That's the most important part. And the phrase I usually go with is, uh, I see you're struggling. If you want to talk to somebody, I'm here. And allowing the person the choice to come forward and talk about it, because that's very important part of this too. But if you do see somebody struggling, you know, you can always come in very gently, gently being a key word here, and say, I'm, I hope you're doing okay. I'm a little worried about you. Just let me know that you're, I'm not supposed to be worried about you if that's not the case, or some other response that at least shakes them out of their rhythm of going through life and shuffling their feet and continuing to spiral. And, and suicide is kind of a tougher issue because it's a lot of different emotional parts. The, there's, like I mentioned, there's embarrassment and shame are pretty big and depression and mania. And some people even suicide out of anger. But it's a very strong feeling that we're looking for. And if you see somebody reacting very strongly to someone or something, that's a good key to step in and be like, hey, are you doing okay right now? And present them with a gentle response of, uh, I'm, I'm worried about you. What resources exist on a national level to help people who have already come to the conclusion that they need help? There's not a ton. Uh, there's National Suicide Hotline. There's also the hotline that's for LGBT youth, Trevor Hotline, a bunch of different kinds of hotlines that tend to point you in one direction or the other. There is no national one, as far as I know. It might have changed in recent years, but uh, I can't. I couldn't find anything when I went looking other than the hotline. But most of these resources are left to counties. And counties provide mental health services, so it really varies on what area of the United States you're in. For example, the, the new campaign in South Dakota about meth, uh, if you saw that poster that says, we do meth, uh, they allocated something like $500,000 for the entire state of South Dakota uh, to combat substance abuse, which is maybe one building and three full-time employees. So you're not going to get a ton out of that. I mean, maybe you can drop in and say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. 
but it's it's a real lacking area. Uh, the most important ones that you can find in your area are going to be your physician or your doctor or an urgent care. There are some counties in the United States that have uh, emergency services for mental health, like an urgent care or an emergency room. And you can find those uh, by just Googling them. Five or six in LA, and you know the wait line is pretty long most days, but they, they turn out to be pretty effective. I do want to talk about one other part of this, which is that some people, when they go off their medication, the, the thoughts and, and ideation come back very strongly. And one of them was Brody Stevens, who was a great comedian. And from what I understood, his, his medication ran out and he couldn't get a refill. And that's all it took. It, it really is about maintaining that. And one of the things that I believe is important about Medicare for All is that, that you don't see these giant drops in coverage where suddenly somebody who's taking their bipolar medication on a daily basis, their script runs out and they need to find a new doctor and they need to find a new pharmacy. And all these things are extremely detrimental to people who've had suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. And with Brody, it, it's really tragic. It was a very preventable thing. I'll say on the other side also that like as now a person that accepts insurance, it's a, it's a nightmare on our end of being able to like navigate individual uh, insurance companies and say, yeah, I can take Blue Cross or I can take UHC or I can take Oscar or whatever is available uh, because A, they don't pay very well. And B, it's you got to have a panel and on the panel, you got to bring in five clients a year on that panel. And it, it's really complicated. And your payouts may be half of what you ask for. So um, you see what I'm trying to get at here, which is that the continuation of insurance is such an important part of this, uh, that without better insurance, you, you'll see more people struggling. Not only that, but for people who have very serious physical ailments, who can't afford the medical care to continue living, are going to see suicide as an option. That's part of the problem that we can solve with Medicare for All. To unlock the rest of this episode and to hear more episodes, visit patreon.com forward slash on grief pod.